Welcome to the Humanise the Numbers podcast series. Leaders, managers and owners of ambitious accounting firms sharing insights, successes and issues that will challenge you and connect you and your firm to the ways and means of transforming your firm's results. I think accountability is something that crops up a lot um, actually, um, mm. when we've done our workshops and, you know, when you're getting feedback from people, it's how do we hold people to account? How can we be better at it? Um, how can we constructively hold people to account as well? Because, you know, the last thing you want people to do, do is use values as a weapon. How does a substantial accountancy firm with multiple owners and dozens of team members make the challenging shift from a partner-led accountancy firm to a more strategic corporate-led business. Marie Pegram on this podcast shares insights on the journey that UHY East in Letchworth have made on that partner-led to corporate journey, some of the challenges and difficulties they've experienced, but also some of the successes they've experienced too. So my name's Marie Pegram and I'm a partner at UHY Hacker Young East. Uh, We're a firm of around 70 people. Uh, with a turnover of around £5 million, uh, with about 2,000 clients. Um, The firm has originally been around for about 100 years, um, and I've been there for 13 of those 100 years. Um, And we joined UHY Hacker Young approximately 10 years ago. Um, This is the um, national network that allows us to sort of plug into their expertise and also use their international reach as well, which has been great for us. Mm -hmm. Um, We've... Uh, so I joined straight from university, trained with a firm and sort of worked my way up. And now I'm head of strategy uh, within UHY East. I also specialise in the recruitment sector, um, so do the BD for that sector. Uh, and then I'm also on the UHY East board and the national board as well. Right. OK. So head of strategy, what exactly does that mean for you, head of strategy? Okay, so head of strategy is uh, it's a commercial role, so it's right. looking forward for UHY East, um, looking at how we're going to grow as a business and how we plug into the national UHY strategy as well. Right, okay, okay. So it's specifically about new client acquisition, client retention? Uh, yeah, client retention, also looking at acquisitions as well. So, you know, we've gone through a couple of acquisitions as a firm. Um, right. It's just ways to grow and maybe possibly diversification. Um, right. So, you know, potentially looking outside accountancy and maybe exploring something like legal right, as right, a right, right. possibility. So, so. Your, your focus, your role in that sort of commercial approach to strategy, is that is that the overriding view of strategy at UHY East or is there a, a broader, bigger perspective of what strategy stands for? Uh, well, that, that's a commercial strategy for UHY, mm. but we also have a cultural side of things as well. Um, so as UHY East, we have a commercial vision and a cultural vision, and they very right. much link into each other. Uh, and one can't be successful without the other. Right. Right. So what's your, uh, how do you then uh, integrate the two, uh, Marie? What, what, what's going on between the two of you? Because obviously there's someone else who's head of the cultural strategy. Yeah, so we, <laughs> yeah, so we have a head of culture. Um, that used to be my role before I moved into head of strategy. Um, right. And we very much work alongside each other in terms of the com- commercial strategy and the cultural strategy of the firm. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so that that's quite neat in terms of fitting in with this, how do you rehumanise the numbers in a better, deeper, more meaningful way so that the firm is more effective because you've got the cultural 
strategy which is team people focused by the sounds of it and then yep. you've got the commercial strategy which is numbers focused albeit you can't avoid there's people in there because they're called clients aren't they so yep. you've got that <laughs> blend and balance between the humanity and the numbers but interesting that you've got this balance between culture and clients and fee growth have you or is it weighted one way or the other um it's tricky because i think it's weighted more cultural than it is commercial um just right. because we find if we get the cultural elements correct um and we get the team working in in the way that they want to work and how we think will be the most successful way then the the results will follow right so uh, if we uh, there's that old uh, it's a bit hackneyed but i think it's really powerful is if you treat your team like kings and queens they'll treat your customers like kings and queens and we'll all live happily ever after there's yeah yeah spot on yeah so how how, how are you embedding this cultural focus then this cultural bias into the firm because it's what, so we've does, had, you know, what the um, heck does culture mean <laughs> culture for us is the dna so it's the way of how we interact um with everyone it's how we behave uh, it's our values. It's why we go to work every day. It's all of those things. So for us, it's the DNA of the business. It's the lifeblood that goes through the business. Right. Um, and we've been on quite a journey over the last five years. Right. Um, and if I think back five years ago, we had a terrible culture at UHY. Um, it was very much a partner-led firm. Um, it was the partners would make all the decisions, uh, sit around a table and do it jointly which you imagine the time-consuming that can be. Um, we also didn't really have a defined culture. It was very much work long hours. Um, we're not hitting results, hit people with a stick-type culture. Um, maybe wow. I'm probably overemphasizing that a little bit. It wasn't quite that bad. But we had, sure. you know, we had high staff turnover as well, which kind of implied that our culture wasn't right either. Yeah. Um, and since then, um, I, and I also don't think we, we prioritise culture either. You know, it wasn't even a word that came up five years ago. Hmm. Um, and since then, we've completely changed the model of the business. So we're not a partner-led firm as such now. Uh, we're more of a corporate, so we have a managing director. Um, and we've passed down roles and responsibilities throughout the firm, giving people more autonomy to take ownership of, you know, drive things forward and, you know, hmm. initiatives and programs and things that they want to make it a better place to work hmm. um we've also been on this culture journey so we've defined our values and behaviors um, right. and that wasn't defined from the top down that was everyone included mm. in defining what what are our values what do we want to represent how do we want to behave as a firm mm. and that's you know with each other and also with our clients right. uh, and then we literally on a um on a, a as part of the journey we're working on our purpose now as you well know um, and that's very much, you know, why does UHY exist? Um, mm. You know, why do we come to work every day? And why do clients want to come and work with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can, can you give us one, possibly two examples of where that cultural focus has worked well and paid off? Murray? Okay. Um, so if I take um, quite a few weeks ago... Um, we did a, a whole staff away day and that was mainly right. around our purpose hmm. and the feedback that we get from that. And it wasn't just the feedback from the day. It was the feedback from the journey that we've been on for the last five years was uh, in a nutshell, this firm has changed so much better and it's changed so much better for the um, change for the better. Hmm. 
And when you get feedback like that and you think that people actually, you know, like working here and, you know, want to come to work and, you know, really enjoy it and realise that they are listened to and the things that they say are, you know, taken seriously and put into action, that mm. says a lot. And I think we're really proud of that. Mm. And, and what sort of cross-section of people are saying that? Because sometimes it can be the more vocal ones, which often are the more senior ones, or do you think you've, that's... I'm curious as to whether that's there's a bias attached to that because sometimes we can be uh, we find it easy to find the good things that we want to hear. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> um, we, when we do a lot of feedback um, surveys and we do a lot of them anonymous, um, right. so we kind of give that people the option that they can put their name to things if they want to, or they, if they mm. don't feel comfortable and really want to express their honesty, then they can do it completely anonymously. Um, right. And generally, overall we get very limited bad feedback. So it right. might be sort of one or two out of mm. 70 people. Um, yeah. And, you know, even if it's one or two, and one or two isn't sort of, you know, if you rate this out of 10, it's a one, it's more like a five yeah, yeah, or a yeah. six. Yeah. Um, and when you're constantly checking in with people, I think that really helps as well. Um, and that's, again, some of the feedback that we've had from the team is, you know, you're, you're constantly asking us, you know, to be part of this the journey that you're on um you know we're all in mm. it together and you want to hear what we have to say because at the end of the day mm. um you know when you have a top-led kind of um strategy or program or business plan or whatever it is you're actually missing out on all the people that are at the firing line the front line you know those that are mm. you know even right down to the people that are just picking up the phone and talking to the clients uh, mm. when they call into the reception you know if you don't listen to what's happening there then you're really not understanding the whole of what's going on in the business yes you're not you're not connected are you to what what really matters no no Which ultimately and also what really matters the business, those people you know, as well the team doing the work the clients responding yeah yeah and i think that you know everyone's got their their own kind of um importance of what their role is and how that impacts UHY and you know our client service delivery so you know what we may not perceive as important is actually really important for other people so it's making mm. sure that you understand that um, it, it sounds like you've done quite a bit of work on getting clarity around roles and responsibilities Marie in, in the business so there's, there's there's less ambiguity now than there was in terms of why you're here what you're doing how it's measured um so that the, you, you, my my appreciation of that would be that you you're building a sense of achievement which is stronger now than it was because you've got that clarity. Do you, do you want to run us through what you've done and how you've achieved that clarity, or have I misunderstood? Have I misinterpreted what you're saying there? No, no, we've we've done loads of work around clarity of roles and responsibilities. Um, I think we, as you said, we've moved from this partner structure to actually a, a more functional structure so everyone knows what they're doing so if you've got a um an idea or you've got some feedback or anything you know exactly which person to feed that back to and they mm. take the responsibility to know that they're in charge of implementing that um you know when you go back to the old model of you know a partner led kind of all sat around the table no one's got roles and responsibilities you're all kind of just sort of feeding off different things and there's lots of you know everyone's doing, doing a bit the same job <laughs> So I think that's really helped with the team as well because they know where to direct things. Um, yeah. And also um, succession, you know, so it gives people career paths. So, for example, um, you know, I'm a partner in the firm and traditionally partners normally have a client portfolio. I don't. 
you know, my mm. role's completely different and it kind of opens up the world. You know, when I first joined UHY, I thought the career ladder was work really hard, you know, work your way up, have a portfolio of clients and you become a partner. Yeah. Um, whereas that's not the case anymore. Uh, and mm. it's about working to your strengths. And my strengths are strategy, is business development, is winning new clients. So let's hone in on that and make mm. the most of it. Did it not feel scary though, Marie? You know, just offloading, you know, the historical raison d'etre for being here, which is this portfolio clients. Was that not a scary thing to do? And presumably it's not just you that's done that. Presumably there's others have done some of that, if not all of that. I, I, it is very scary, I think, because um performance was traditionally measured by recovery rates you know um mm. h- how well your perfor- portfolio is uh, performing whereas yeah. my performance isn't measured like that so i felt at the start i guess quite that i had to justify everything i was doing um, <laughs> and again it goes back to numbers again so you end up sort of saying well i've won this many clients i've bought this much fees in but now yeah. it's sort of transitioned to well actually we've you know, you look back and we've implemented these processes and what's the outcome of those processes that we've implemented or what's mm. these initiatives that have done for the firm. Uh, and some of it's really hard to measure. You know, employee engagement is hard to measure. Yeah. Um, you know, customer satisfaction can be quite hard to measure. Um, mm. You know, how well you're reaching out to your clients and supporting them can be hard to measure. Mm. So what what have you done in that? And I know it's hard, but it's necessary, isn't it, to some degree? How how even if it's qualitative, how would you assess the shift? And you've already hinted at this already, but how would you assess the shift in levels of team member engagement within the firm during your time as head of strategy, both cultural um, and commercial? Yeah. So if I take. Um the shift people are taking on more responsibilities so we're having projects like if i as an example um pratt's ignition so that's a project that's been going on that we've been using pratt's ignition the soft uh, the quoting online quoting software uh, and implementing a three option pricing process for all of our clients and actually being more transparent mm. with our pricing now that mm. project is being um led by myself but I've roped in um, a manager who's really keen to be part of that project and he's supporting me with that and almost leading some of the parts of that project himself now five Mm. years ago that would have been solely partner right whereas now you've got people that are sort of putting up their hands and saying actually I I quite fancy that um, and Mm. I think I can make a real difference and I'd like to get Mm. involved Um, and by all means go for it you know we have that with the cultural team as well you know we have juniors that are involved in the cultural team why Mm. not (laughs) if they're they're interested and happy to go for it then yeah interested passionate got some skills maybe want to learn then you're tapping into what just where i want to lead this conversation is what what, what's your sense of the levels of initiative self initiating initiative across the firm and 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 genuine ownership and responsibility of uh, roles and responsibilities excuse my clumsy english there but you know what i'm trying to say um so we're very much a project focused firm so yes we've got the roles and responsibilities you have like you know i'm i'm responsible for this area of the business and this is what i need to do but there might be projects that come out of that so practice ignition is an example that's a project that's going on um and um i'm sorry paul what was the question 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm guilty of confusing two issues, and I'm just thinking I've, I've asked entirely the, the naffest of questions on the planet. I'm, I'm after two things. One is uh, the uplift in a sense of initiative across. You've got 70 people. You know, yep. how do we assess whether there's more initiative taking place now than there ever was? Because that's what you, sort of where you want to go from partner-led to, you know, um, strategy-led roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities, clarity. Um, sense of purpose is crystal clear the values and behaviors are crystal clear and so people know exactly where they stand and so they're on solid foundations for actually putting the hand up i'll do that and putting the hand up and go doing something showing initiative without asking for permission i just wonder if there's any sense that that's showing up enough in the firm yeah so i think moving towards having projects being run properly um and functionally has helped us put more initiatives in place um right. and it's not this chaotic kind of everyone getting involved and having an opinion uh you know you have a project owner a project leader and we have a process of how to run a project right. um and you you're always going to have in an organization those that want to get involved and those that don't mm. and that's okay um you know there's no the last thing you want to do is start forcing people to get involved for things for the sake of doing it. You know, that forced, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that's just as bad as, you know, having a poor culture. It's, you know, you're forcing people into roles that don't want to do. Um, yeah. but as, um, you know, I think, you know, I don't really want to Simon Sinek, the, um, yeah. the, yeah. Start the with why, why, yeah. yeah um you know he he's got quite an interesting process in terms of you know you have the early adopters you know mm. i have a similar thing in terms of align the people that want to you want to align with um get them mm. going um and if they mm. want to buy into these initiatives and move them forward then the rest will follow um and Eventually. i think it's okay yeah. if that if that's if people don't want to get involved straight away um yeah. and they take time to you know get adapted to a different way of doing things um, right. but they'll come along eventually Right, right. It sounds as though you're expressing quite a lot of patience there, Marie. <laughs> you know me very well, Paul. <laughs> I'm wondering if... Uh, the, the, patience yeah. isn't one of my virtues. <laughs> no, no, hence the, hence the challenge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think um, the good thing about the projects as well is it kind of, you can break things down to bite-sized chunks. Um, and I think what you know, one of the things I guess, you know, you've spoken to us about really as well is the good to great, you know, the flywheel effect. Mm. And if we keep making these steps and we keep going in the right direction, we know where we're heading. We've got a vision. Um, you know, we've got, um, an idea of where we want to go. So let's keep going there and hopefully we'll get the flywheel effect at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, You you, you get that uplifting performance. It it trickles and then in theory it it then uh, it then takes off eventually you just don't know when you just got to keep on keeping on doing the good stuff um and it's you know it's clear that you've got you've got that certainty around and clarity around the vision you've got the certainty and clarity around the values um you you touched on core purpose what's uhy's core purpose uh helping you prosper and how does that show up on a daily weekly basis in the firm yeah so this again it's it's a new it it's a new um what's the word we're starting a new journey with this right i think um mm-hmm. 
it's, it's something that we've had in the background. It's been a marketing strapline for many, many years, and that's not a purpose if it's just a marketing strapline. But over the past year, I'd say, we've started to unpack that and thinking actually helping you p- prosper is brilliant. Mm. You know, it's something that we can really align ourselves to. Mm. Um, so I think we're very much at the start of this in terms of embedding that purpose. So mm. we've spent some time with the team um, unpacking what prosperity means to the team and what pros- prosperity means to our clients. Yeah. Um, the good thing about helping you prosper is you can be lots of different things. Um, so you can be the client, you can be the team, you can be the firm, you can be the community. And that's how we've broken it down. And then prosperity um, has been brilliant because it doesn't mean money. Whereas a lot of people initially go, well, helping you prosper, that just means making more money. Well, actually, mm. no, it doesn't. You know, prosperity means lots of different things, you know, and that's that was the beauty of the workshop we did a few weeks ago with the whole firm um, where we started to unpack prosperity and we did individual prosperity. So we've got everyone to sit down and write down what does prosperity mean to you as an individual? Yeah. We've captured all this. And surprise, yeah. surprise, the outcome wasn't I want more money. The outcome was actually um, I want to go and see my kids at sports day. You know, I want to have financial security. I want to be paid fairly for my job. I want to be, you know, thanked for the things and feel um, recognition. You know, all these sort of things came out. Um, I want to leave a legacy. You know, I'm retiring in four years time. I don't want to be forgotten. I want to have a positive impact in the firm. And all this stuff come out. And actually, everyone was sort of felt really kind of, oh, yeah, prosperity means so much more than just a pay packet at the end of the month. And okay, Mm. right, how can we help people prosper then? And the same with the clients as well. And it's something that, you know, we, we've got, of the outcome of that, we've now got um, a client service commitment and a talent promise, which is based mm-hmm. around helping you prosper. And then it's about implementing that as well. So we, we, we've got loads of things in the pipeline about how to embed this to become a proper core purpose of the firm. Right. We're not quite there yet, but we're mm. on that journey and we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And I know we've touched on previously, you know, there's those research studies from Gallup and from Bain and Co that show team engagement is is at such low levels, you know, 20% or less of the people are genuinely wholeheartedly engaged in what you're doing as a firm. And and there's another 20% who are absolutely disengaged and and trying to derail the firm. And then there's the 60% in the middle, often I think seeing who gets all the attention. And it's like, wow, if, if the percentages are that low in terms of the level of engagement, as opposed to, you could argue, we call it ambivalence, as opposed to the, the those that are trying to derail it. Um, we've got to spend time, haven't we, with the ones that are really buying in. And we've also got to do a better job of actually communicating the clarity and depth of meaning behind the purpose, which it sounds as though is what you were doing on that workshop with your team. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, um, I, th- I think also the pandemic's changed everyone's perspective you know, that's been, so how's that how's um, that played out then for you because um, that's that's where i want to go is you know you, you've gone from partner-led old style old culture to new corporate style clarity around strategy and purpose and values and so on how's that played out for you as a firm with your team and with your clients but let's let's stay with that stick with that team focus for now it was a game changer for us, pandemic. So, you know, we were really quick to react. So as soon as things started to escalate around March time, uh, we knew, right, let's get this into play. And we already had 
the culture and the team ready to buy in and ready to go, which was mm. fantastic. And that was all the foundation that we've been building up over the last few years anyway. Um, so, you know, from a stepping out of your comfort zone and really going for it, we were straight on with the webinars. We saw, you know, we'd never done webinars before. We'd always planned to do them straight on sure, it. Sure, you sure. know, we had people that really didn't do public speaking at all. We're like, right, I'm going to do a webinar. I'm going to stand up and talk to 70 people or 100 people or whatever we got mm -hmm. on the webinar. Um, mm. You know, the initiatives that came through were um, to better engagement with our clients. And everyone was really raring to go, which was fantastic. Um, and mm. also going back to the help any prosper purpose, although we hadn't properly defined it, I guess, at that time, um, everyone cared about their clients. It was amazing how many were just like, right, we've got to help these people, we've got to help these people, this is how we're going to communicate with that. You know, and everyone really mm. mucked in. And if you've got the cultural foundation, everyone goes... Um, you know, rolls up their street sleeves and get stuck in. Get stuck which in. Is brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And then so, off the back of it as well, we also, you know, with the pandemic, I guess people have reassessed, you know, what's important to them in their lives. Um, mm -hmm. And making sure, you know, things like work-life balance is healthy. You know, that becomes so mm -hmm. much more important. You know, you start looking around thinking, actually, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time at work. Why did I do that? I'm missing out on all this stuff now when I go, you know, when we sort of go back to normal, if there isn't ever a normal, if there is, you know, I don't yeah, want to, um, to, yeah, I mm. don't, I don't want to go to the office five days a week. I don't want to, yeah. you know, and then see, the funny thing is before the pandemic, so the 1st of January, 2020, we scrapped core hours. So we went fully flexible, hmm. but we hadn't quite got around to embedding it because I think the team were a bit like, oh, can we really work from home? Do we yeah. re can we really turn up at midday? It's like, yes, yeah. yes. Providing you follow some of the, you know, we had some rules around it. Yeah, um, processes and protocols, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. You know, you, you, the whole team can't rock up at midday if a client's calling in at half eight and wants to speak to someone. Sure. Um, but um, we'd already started to implement that. And I think the pandemic's helped us to just really push that out and say, you know, we're fully flexible. We want you to yeah. have a really good work-life balance. Mm. Um, and understand what's important in your life and we know full yeah, well yeah. sitting at your desk you know 10 hours a day is not a healthy work-life balance <laughs> yeah 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 it's, it's interesting you know the, the, the work on helping you prosper has, has forced me to read broader around um, growth and and, and 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 be really challenged so I've, I've just been diving into this um, this piece by a guy called Tim Jackson Jackson called Press Prosperity Without Growth I'm like Hang on, how am I going to square that circle with all my clients? So I haven't <laughs> quite worked that out. But what, what, what's come through in, in what is a very, very eloquent piece around prosperity and managing growth um, in a broader sense, not just financial growth, in a broader sense, you know, respecting the environment, the planet, as well as, you know, wanting to see everyone benefit uh, or more people benefit in a better way. It sounds a little bit socialist, but... Um, it, it talks about flourishing and it's like you know how do we help people flourish and it's like oh what a powerful word that is it's like oh that just and it fits doesn't it into that broader definition of uh, prosperity and um and actually taking the human stuff more seriously which also means taking the future of those people more seriously as well which is the point of the book in terms of the environmental stuff um it's it's um it has proved to be a challenge in terms of some of the concepts, but actually some of the insights are just amazing in terms of what's um, 
what's going on in terms of the trend shifts around. We've got to get more human, otherwise we're going to disengage our team. And if we do a better job of being humanistic on all sorts of levels, with our team, with our clients, with our community, as you brilliantly point out, then we're likely to have a um, more enjoyable day to day, week to week, as well as uh, a more enjoyable long term as well. Um, so thank you for that challenge. That's that it, uh, drove my wife nuts on holiday. It absolutely <laughs> did because oh, he's not reading that book again. Is it? it's like oh, it's brilliant. This. Um, so let's just turn this um, around a little bit, and I'm I'm curious about. So you've got this very uh, well established long term. I was going to say old firm. That's not fair, is it? But it's been around for hundred years. Uh, mm -hmm. It's gone from being partner led to being you know corporate or you know function. Only led, strategically led. Um, where are the challenges at the moment, Marie, with that? Because you still, like you say, you're on a journey. What is it that's um, frustrating the heck out of you that you, your impatience is um, having you rattle the cage and shake the trees? I'm curious as to what's um, where, where you think that. Uh, what, what are the frustrations? Where, where, where's, where, where are the difficulties? I think that's really what I'm asking. Yeah, I think. I'm an impatient person, person as you know. <laughs> it's sort of a, um, yeah. I just, I, I suppose I'm a typical millennial. Want things done quick. Where's my results? <laughs> and where are they? Um, yeah, I want it, and I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think uh, the challenge for us is getting the right people, um, and I guess that's the same with most accountancy firms or most firms in general. You know, and it, yeah. and it's making that assessment so. I did a, an interview recently. It's the second interview. And I thought, I've only got two hours with this guy. How can mm. I try and establish that he definitely culturally fits with UHY? Mm. Um, right. You know, and, and, and the other way around as well. Um, and I think, you know, we, we've put in place, um, you know, sort of a, you have your probationary period within a firm. And part of that probationary period is we have a kind of... Um, assessments to make sure that UHY is right for them and they're right for UHY mm. um, because cultural fit is just incredibly important and mm -hmm. I think the biggest challenge as we've gone through this cultural transformation is yes um, attracting the right people is great but also the people that we've already got some aren't going to come in the boat and go along mm. with us and mm. that's been a challenge as well um, yeah the journey doesn't you, fit yeah and you know you have to be honest that maybe UHY isn't right for them um, mm. and they need to move on um, because it, it, it's so important to have the right people in the firm with you that's got mm. the right attitude um, mm. and have, you know, that culturally fit. They, you know, they're aligned with your values and behaviours. They can see what you're trying to do and they're bought in and they're raring to go. And if mm. you don't have that, then you're just constantly an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, and, and it's, you know, it's a common challenge across lots of firms, whatever the nature of those firms is recruiting great people. Mm -hmm. But it's arguable, isn't it, Marie, that you, you make a rod for your own back when you get absolute crystal clarity on your purpose and your values and your behavioural standards. You've just washed out another load of people you could have hired. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually even harder, isn't it? Um, but as my mother would say, not worth having wherever easy. And so is, is, is that the better way to achieve your commercial strategic goals? Or would it be better to just hire, you know, less well-fitting culturally people and achieve your commercial goals? Because you're actually um, making it harder for you to achieve your role by only recruiting the people that fit, aren't you? 
Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, I, I've personally, um, I, I get coached personally outside of UHY. And one of the, the part of the, that coaching process is we've established people that, you know, from me personally, who I'd like to work with and who I don't like to work with. Mm. And I think it's the same for everyone. You know, you know the people that you want to work with. You know how um, if you want to drive initiatives in a product, be successful, then you mm. have to have the right people around you. Now, mm. if it takes a while to get the right people around you, then so be it. But once you've got them, fantastic, and you're flying. So right. it doesn't matter how hard it is to recruit the best people mm. um, that culturally mm. fit with you. I, if it takes time, it takes time. So what? At least you know at the end of it you're going to be more successful. Um, right. So what I'm hearing you say there is in the short term you're willing to take the hit on the commercial growth of the business to ensure that the long-term prosperity of the business is anchored to people that are going to stick, stay and really enjoy the UHY journey. 100%. So you're you compromising short-term term for a better long-term. Yeah. So I think yeah. as well, you know, we've got... Um, we've redefined our recruitment process as well as part of the cultural journey uh, because we used to recruit, you know, what degree did you have? What GCSEs have you got? Okay, right, you're technically competent. Brilliant. Come on board. Yeah, you've got um, two arms, two eyes and a mouth. Come on, on we go. Yeah, exactly. You know, you swallowed an accountancy book. Brilliant. That's yeah, what we yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas now our recruitment process is completely different to the point that, okay, right, you didn't quite get the grades. Fine. Okay, not a problem. But, you know, I, I can teach you stuff. You know, I, mm. I can train you on certain things. I, you know, technically I can, you know, get you up to speed. But if you're not, if you're culturally fit, then brilliant. Mm. You know, that, that's the hardest tick in the box, I think. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? And it's tough, isn't it? Designing a, a, a recruitment process that actually, because uh, it's so alien to how we've, you know, we were interviewed and so uh, so many historical interviews that it's a, uh, it's a tough one. So what, how do you do that? What sort of questions are you asking? Or scenarios are you creating? What? How do you do that? Yeah. Um, so we've got some um, scripted questions, um, which have you know that that's actually been defined by um, the head of culture at the moment. So Shona's right. defined the recruitment process. Yeah. Um, and those are around values. So what's important to you? What are your values? Um, mm. I'm trying to think of some of the questions. Really, I don't know them off the top of my head. But, but, um, but Marie, what you've just said is so. Hang on. So you've designed a recruitment interview process that references their values, your values, to see if there's a fit. Yeah, spot on. You know, other firms can listen to this and go, well, I've never thought of doing that with my values. Well, you know, if you want to create the firm that truly lives to the standards you set, which I always think is what values is about, what standards are we going to live by, then um, only if you recruit in that way are you going to achieve that. That just sounds so simple, obvious, elegant, but so rarely done. And, you know, I'm sure you've got it wrong a few times. Yeah, or everyone, you know, you learn from those mistakes, <laughs> don't hard, you? It, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this conversation's reminded me of, um, if we go back to that, you know, that there's 20% of the people who are completely engaged and are driven, mm. there's 20% who are derailing things and the other 60% in the middle of the ones where, how do we bring them along, becomes a big, um, a big challenge because there's, you know, there's only a few that don't really fit. There's just some that haven't worked out how to connect the dots. And that's the leadership's challenge, the manager's challenge. What what challenges, difficulties, frustrations have you got in that space where you've got people who, they're good people, you know, they really do sort of fit, but we can't quite yet fully engage with them. What, what, what challenges are you seeing in that space with that 
you know that type of person within the firm yeah i think i think the biggest change because we're quite big on employee voice so making sure that right. everyone has a voice um and we try right. and in get, include everyone within the big decisions so you know we'll openly share our business plans that we've done we'll openly right. talk about purpose and we'll do a workshop to help everyone understand you know what the purpose is about and unpack it for them mm. uh, and make it individual mm. for them i think the big frustration is when you think you've given everyone a platform and some don't use it yet you think mm. i know they really want to use it why why is it why are they not yeah um and that's you know just one of those challenges isn't it that we're still trying to overcome <laughs> yeah and, and it's it is in inverted commas just one of those challenges but it's a key one isn't it yeah, and it's you. You remind me of this. Uh, There's a, a research piece around an organisation in the US called Delancey Street. I don't know whether we've talked about that before, but um, Delancey Street have got setups in New York, Chicago, and a number of other major cities in the US, and they take uh, repeat offending, gangland, drug, and violent crime criminals and turn them into bona fide members of society with jobs and houses and, and, and so on. And it's like, wow, when they've got this, this process which takes two to three years, but they are entirely transformed. And it's, it's the most successful rehabilitation program in the US. Better than any of the government schemes and, and, and other private schemes. It's sort of charity driven, this one. And uh, they talk about, you know, what we've got to do is get um, the skill and will right. You know, we've got to influence their mm -hmm. skill, mm -hmm. what, what they know, what to do, knowledge and skills and habits. Um, and then we've also got to tap into and shift their desire, their will, which is the hard bit. And they talk about those two things are achieved through processes that are delivered and engaged with the individual, delivered and engaged with the peer groups, communities within Delancey Street. And last but not least, have the structures in place to support that and it's like a, a six-part grid and what what their evidence suggests is that unless you can tick at least four of those boxes you know the two by three grid unless you can tick four at least four of them you won't actually influence or change anybody in any way and if you can get five it might happen a bit quicker if you can get all six a bit a bit quicker but it takes two to three years however you look at it and it's just it it's it, it really points to you can shift people it's hard work, takes time, but if we have the right individual, community, group, peer and structural processes in place over that sort of time frame, we'll be able to shift. And if you can shift, and when, when I read the research, they'd, they'd put 16,000 through this programme successfully. You know, gangland, repeat, defend, drug and violent criminals through this, and then they become drivers in delivery companies and chefs and waiters handling knives and and because it was an american book they missed the irony of the fact that you've put these criminals in charge of delivery vehicles <laughs> <laughs> and criminals with knives in their hands and it's like well they, they could have made a little bit more but they didn't do that um but it's it changes hard isn't it yeah well i think you you, you know you just said it you know it, it takes years it's not you, yeah. you can't get quick wins with any of this stuff um yeah. and it's what we found um, with the cultural transformation that we've done is um, it's only when you look back and you say, ah, yes, we have changed quite a lot as a business, haven't we? Um, mm. And you start to really sort of think where we were before and this was happening. And it's about 
it's quite good to keep track of those things. So recording yeah. and doing an audit. So we've done a few audits every so often where we're saying, right, where are we today? Right, where do you want to yeah. go? Okay, where are we today? Where do you want to go? And when you start yeah. looking back at some of that stuff, you think, yeah, okay, it's, we're in the long game. It's always a long mm. game with the cultural transformation. Mm. Yeah. But you suddenly start to see we really have changed a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But there's, there's got to be some bravery in there, hasn't there, Marie, to make that go, right, we are going to go from being this sort of partner-led, partner-cultural piece to a functional corporate strategy-led business, not an accountancy firm. You know, it's, it's a business drive, isn't it? So yeah. do you think that courage slash bravery is a, a big part of this or is it um, frustration and what have you that's driven it i'm curious as to which which was the main driver um, it's, it's probably a mixture because if you think you know we've got people that have been part of the team for 30 years they've been with us for 30 years at this company which mm-hmm. says a lot really um, it does. and they've you know if you've been doing the same thing and working the same way for so many of those years you've got habits and by changing those habits and you know looking at a different way of doing things it's, it's hard and you do have to be brave mm. you do have to mm. sort of step out into out of your comfort zone and start looking into at different things and changing yeah. the way you, you know you you do things and i think you know if i look across the uhy team we've got partners that have been with us for you know again about 30 years and they've had to be brave and courageous and go okay right we're going to do it differently now um mm. and this is and i've you know as a leader of the firm i've got to be in the same boat as all the other leaders and off we go <laughs> yeah yeah bite the bullet um, and lead from the front on that yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. um so uh, in, in the conversation we've had uh, where you've been reflecting on the nature of the business and the strategy and the journey you've been on what, what one thing that we've talked about today has, has stood out for you in terms of um acknowledging or recognizing again the progress you've made or made you think oh we need to look a little bit deeper into that i'm curious is there anything that you've gone ah that's uh, there's, there's a nugget there and i want to pursue that what, what is it that stood out for you yeah i think um so we've we've done a lot of work on our values and behaviors um and what's been successful is if you ask people what our values are as a firm they know them straight away which is right. brilliant and it shows that that's been embedded and it's not just a piece of paper that just says our values on it. Yeah, it's got a list um, on it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if you ask people about the behaviours behind the values, we mm. haven't quite nailed that yet. Uh, and that's something that we're looking at to try and define a bit better um, further down the line. Um, and then if I talk about our purpose, you know, helping you prosper, we've done quite a lot of about around this to help um start to embed this as this is why uhy is here mm. this is you know this is why we get up every morning and come to work mm. um what's been really pleasing is we do a monthly um newsletter and as part of that newsletter we do the uhy spotlight we call it where we ask some questions about one of the teams we just get to know them a little bit better right. um, and it's normally a, a newer member of the team um, and mm. one of the questions is you know um what do you love most about uhy and um the answers a couple of the answers and two for two over the past few months two of the answers have been quite similar and they've been they want to help prosper they want to help me prosper and they want to help the team prosper and i was like brilliant (laughs) we've got it (laughs) i'm really pleased with that result um but then you know 
we've got plenty of other initiatives that we're trying to embed and they're not quite embedded yet and you know they're not embedded yet um, and yeah. it just takes time and it's constant kind of n- going over the same thing over and over and over and over again until it starts to become a habit Vince and repeat Vince yeah. and repeat exactly yeah. Yeah, absolutely absolutely it sounds that if um, and, and I know we've had this conversation outside of this discussion but as soon as you, you you've got clarity on purpose you've got clarity on values now you're going to get clarity on the behavioural standards that deliver on those values which means you're moving into a space where you're going to hold people to account. That's going to take some bravery as well, isn't it? Because if people are repeatedly misbehaving according to your values and behavioural sets, there's, um, you know, you're heading into three strikes in your out territory, aren't you? Is that a conscious decision to be that deliberate? Yeah, I think accountability is something that crops up a lot um actually um Mm. when we've done our workshops and you know when you're getting feedback from people it's how do we hold people to account how can we be better at it Um, how can we constructively hold people to account as well because you know the last thing you want people to do do is use values as a weapon yes you know and it becomes blame and things like that's that's the complete opposite of what we're trying to achieve Mm. um a couple of years ago we did quite a bit of work on um the five dysfunctions of a team brilliant um which is a fantastic book patrick Um, lencioni yeah 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 brilliant book um and we we recapped a bit on um on the leadership program actually that we've just launched again going over the five dysfunctions of the team and one of those is accountability um and if you don't build trust in your team and you don't um and you don't trust each other properly then you can never get accountability you can Mm. never get honesty amongst Mm. your peers Mm. um, and be able to actually pull people out without um, worrying oh you know um, they don't like me anymore and you know we're you know we're going to have conflict and yeah, all yeah, this yeah. sort of You're stuff challenging so, all their drivers and everything that matters to them yeah 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 mm. so I think um, we you know we've already defined the behaviors behind the values we've already done that work a few years ago it's just yeah. not embedded and it's probably um, to be honest the document that we produced is one of those that lists loads of behaviors behind the values and if you had to quote it remember it you really wouldn't no <laughs> Um, so we're just going to go back and revisit that and look at it maybe filter filter some of them you know the the way the mind works suggests that you know if you've got uh, three values you're in the right space in terms of recall because the brain can recall one two three maybe four things and so you've got three then really if you've got maximum four four behavioral standards against each of the three you stand a really good chance of you know retaining and remembering and therefore as a consequence living them um, if you've got more than that in each section, you, you're uh, you're lost at sea. You know, people will never recognise them. Um, yeah, so that's exactly what you know. I think people have a good idea of what the behaviours are behind the values, but everyone will say something slightly different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you know, that's we live in the real world, so that's sort of okay. But as long as the fundamental standard that's at play against those behaviours and those values isn't compromised, then they're in. And if, if they are, then they need some help. And I think, you know, my biggest learning over the last couple of years is accountability spelt, as you know, from me, H-E-L-P. I think it's like, what do we do in order to help them? And then we're back into Delancey Street territory because it's if we help them enough in the right ways, in four or five or six of the different possible ways, then we'll get that transition. We'll influence them in such a way that they'll uh, become a, an intrinsic, valuable, important loving even part of the team so that it's we've got a true yeah. uh, humanized environment brilliant yeah. um so part of the, lots of lo- lots of lots of, sorry, lots of um steps to take yet then marie 
<laughs> yeah, there's always lots of steps to take. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's been brilliant. So, a- anything else you want to chip in before we, uh, we before we wrap up? Uh, I was just going to say, it's part of the accountability um, piece that we've been doing. Um, one of the big things that we do is make public things that we want to do. So, as a you know, we have a, a top you know a, a senior leadership team. Um, yeah. And we tell the whole firm, right, this is what we're going to achieve in this quarter and this is how we're going to do it. And if right. we communicate to the whole firm, we're going to look a bit silly if we don't actually achieve it by the end of the quarter. Yeah, deliver on it. Um, yeah, exactly. So I yeah. think we're quite big on making things as public as possible. Um, brilliant. And if, you know, if you've got that one big thing every quarter that the leadership team is committing to, you're tapping into a success strategy that Intel, Google, Microsoft have been using called the, you know, objectives and key results, quarterly objectives and key results that fits with the vision and plan and strategy you've got for the firm. So that's a, you know, piece of corporate genius that is. Um, you know, Google have done all right using that. They have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, love or hate. Um, Marie, this has been uh, brilliant. I really appreciate you taking time out and, uh, and allowing us to have this um almost fireside chat about your role, what UHY have done, the journey you've been on. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very, very much. Thanks very much for inviting me. You'll find more valuable discussions with the leaders of ambitious accounting firms at humanisethenumbers.online. You can also sign up to be notified each time a new podcast is made available. This podcast series, Humanise the Numbers, has been made possible thanks to the support of our sponsors, My Workpapers, Advanced Track, Satago, and VFD Pro. Visit humanisethenumbers.online, click the logo of each sponsor, and you'll hear what our podcast interviewees have to say about the sponsor's services.